All right. Now, to the text, which is Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. Let me, um, let me read it to you. It's, it's very brief. This is the text under this, uh, our examination tonight. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, <clears throat> he deceives himself. Now, guys, the, the, the previous two verses, one had to do with the um, um, restoring a brother, a wayward brother who was in sin. And I told you that one of the requirements for that was humility. And then this next one in verse 2 was bearing one another's burdens. Uh, and apparently, um, it takes humility to bear uh, the burdens of others. Because if you think you're somebody, then you are too self-important to have any kind of... Um, servant heart or or a willingness to bear somebody else's burdens. So a a discussion of humility and pride uh, apparently popped into the mind of the Apostle Paul after he'd mentioned these two things because a person's self-view affects relationships to others. Now, gang, um, I hope that this little kick that I'm on, you know, because remember last week I started off with a thing about pride. Nebuchadnezzar and his son Belshazzar, uh, you know, uh, chapter 4, chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar was turned into a beast and wandered around the field, and his son watched all that, and yet it, it didn't change him a bit. I talked about that last week. Well, here we are again. And, and I hope that this little emphasis that I've made last week and this week is God-led. But at least I can tell you this much. It's the text. It's the text that brings it to the forefront, not my hobby horse. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So we have to face this issue about um, pride. And what I want to do is I want to give you two examples of things that I don't know. They're they're subtle displays of pride when I don't think we really recognize them to be that. Here's the first one. This is a subtle display of pride that I think might surprise you. Worry. Ooh, I'm just a worrier. Well, you might be. But you're guilty of pride. Now, if you'd like for me to demonstrate that, I'd, I'd, like, I'd love for you to take a look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, uh, oh, um, uh, two verses, 6 and 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, 6 and 7. Let me read you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, gang, you need to notice this. Um, That one of the ways that we humble ourselves is by casting all our cares and all our our anxieties. Verse 7 is not a new sentence. Verse 7 is the continuation of the exhortation to humble yourself or to humble ourselves. And so he gives as the first example of humbling ourselves 
is that we cast all our cares. You must not separate that, casting cares, from the humbling ourselves. Casting our anxieties upon the Lord is a way, one way, to humble ourselves. So you see, one hindrance to our doing that, that is casting all our cares, we'd rather worry. One hindrance to doing that is our pride. Because pride doesn't like to admit that it's anxious about anything. Because, um, you see, that says that that there are things in my life that I can't handle. Uh, We don't want to... look outside of ourselves to someone who's stronger and wiser. So if I got things going on, instead of doing this, our pride leads us just to worry. Um... Gang, worry is a form of pride because it involves taking hold of our concerns upon ourselves, thinking that we can manage instead of casting our cares on him because he cares for you. So one subtle way that we don't normally think of as being an example of pride is that we worry. Instead of doing this thing that is one way to humble yourself. Now here's the second one, and it's very much like the first one, but it has a little bit of a different, a little bit of a different twist. Um... Another subtle display of pride is a specific kind of anxiety about worrying about your future. If you would and would like to, um, find Isaiah 51 with me. Isaiah 51, verses 12 and 13. God is speaking, and this is 51, 12, and 13. Um, God is speaking, and he says, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that, are, that you are afraid of a man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass, and have forgotten the Lord your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, and you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor? When he sets himself to destroy? Where's the wrath of the oppressor? Guys, I mean, do you, do you see what, what God is saying? You fear him, and he's made of grass. He's, um, 
you know, he's not going to last very long. <clears throat> but instead of turning to me, who laid the foundations of the earth, you're so worried about how this is going to affect you in the future. We are self-reliant instead of God-reliant. And our faith is supposed to be placed in the one whose promises, who has promised us not just grace for today, but what Piper loves to call future grace. Grace for tomorrow and the next day and the next. Um, we're supposed to be trusting in that God and not in our abilities to manage all things. You see, we think that we know that we know better how this situation should ultimately unfold. And so we choose all kinds of things instead of um, relying on the God who laid the foundations of the earth. Um, Blessed are those whose strength is in the Lord. That's Psalm 84, verse 5. Our strength is not in your ingenuity and not in all of your manipulations and not in all of your um, schemings. Our strength is to be found in trusting in the God who has promised us grace to manage tomorrow. I want to read you something, and um, in one sense, this is self-serving, but I, it, it is so good. Um, it is about preachers, but I mean, there's application for you too, but this is right out of Luther's commentary on this text. This is his commentary on uh, at least a portion of it on Galatians 6.3, and it's you know somewhat lengthy, so bear with me, but it is, it's just great. <clears throat> he says this, No wonder that God in his special grace subjects the ministers of the gospel to all kinds of afflictions. Otherwise, they could not cope with this ugly beast called vainglory. If no persecution, no cross or reproach trail the doctrine of the gospel, but only praise and reputation... The ministers of the gospel would choke with pride. Paul had, this, <clears throat> Paul had the spirit of Christ. Nevertheless, there was given to, unto him the messenger of Satan to buffet him in order that he should not come to exalt himself because of the grandeur of his revelations. Augustine's opinion is well taken. Quote, If a minister of the gospel is praised, he is in danger. If he is despised, he is also in danger. The ministers of the gospel should be men who are not, e not too easily affected by praise or criticism, but simply speak out of the benefit and the glory of Christ and seek the salvation of souls. Whenever you are being praised, remember it is not you who is being praised, but Christ, to whom all praise belongs. When you preach the word of God in its purity and also live accordingly, it's not your own doing, but God's doing. 
And when people praise you, they really mean to praise God in you. When you understand this, and you should, and you should, because what hast thou that thou hast not didst not receive? You will not flatter yourself on one hand, and on the other hand, you will not carry yourself with the thought of resigning from the ministry when you are insulted, reproached, or persecuted. It is really kind of God to send so much infamy, reproach, hatred, and cursing our way to keep us from getting proud of the gifts of God in us. We need a millstone around our neck to keep us humble. There are few on our side who love and revere us for the ministry of the word, but for every one of these, there are a hundred on the other side who hate and persecute us. The Lord is our glory. Such gifts as we possess, we acknowledge to be the gifts of God given to us for the good of the church of Christ. Therefore, we are not proud because of them. We know that more is required of them to whom much is given than of such to whom little is given. We also know that God is no respecter of persons. A plain factory hand who does his work faithfully pleases God just as much as a minister of the word. I'm just trying to point out, guys, that this admonition in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, about not thinking too highly of yourself, whereas we, we might have concluded that we're really doing pretty well with that, when in fact, we're not. Worry and anxiety over your future um, and, and then this thing that I've—it is so—it <clears throat> is so prevalent. This high-mindedness is so prevalent in the world of which I am a part professionally. And and I and the chief of sinners. But that's the thing that's got to be destroyed, ladies and gentlemen. You know the story. You know the story about Peter. Right before, right at the end of Jesus's life, and and uh, he was Jesus says everybody's going to um, desert me, and Peter says, well, they might, the rest of them might. It's in uh, Luke twenty two, I think. I wrote it down. Yeah, um, the rest of them, uh, Jesus might do that, but not I. I'm not going to do it. And um, and of course, you know what happened, Peter, because he had this view of himself that he was above it. I have this view of myself that I'm above committing great sin. You're in danger. There's one more story that I had. Um, you really don't need to turn there, but it's in Judges chapter 9, and it's about a guy by the name of Abimelech. And he was one of the uh, the sons of Gideon, and you know Gideon um, delivered Israel. But he had, um, gosh, I, I, I might have my facts wrong here, but I, I didn't. But he had like uh, 70 sons. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was, anyway. So the... Um, so Abimelech decides, um, wait a minute, uh, how is Israel going to follow 70 people? 
So he goes out and kills 69 of them. And uh, then he goes to the people and he says, um, uh, you know, would you rather follow 70 or me? And their response was, wait a minute. Uh, you remember the story, um, <clears throat> uh, the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go away and sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, you come reign over us. But the vine said to them, shall I leave my wine? Cheers, God. Then the tree shall turn into the bramble and the bramble. And, the, you know, and, and, and the, the answer to Abimelech was, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We didn't get the vine. We didn't get the fig tree. We got the bramble. But you see, Abimelech didn't have that view of himself. And so he goes out and he rules for a couple of years. I don't even think it's that long. But he is ultimately, and it's in verse 22 and following, um, he is killed by a woman who is standing... Sorry, ladies, but in this culture, there was nothing worse than being slain in battle by a woman. Um, but, you know, the arrows that they shoot go just as deep as the arrows that the men shoot. But, but, but anyway, uh, he's standing real close to the, the, the city wall, and she drops a millstone on his head and crushes him and, and kills him. Um, and the, um, the, the point of the story was that the parable that these people told about the trees came true. You think you're a vine? You're not a vine. You don't produce any grapes. You think you're a fig tree? You're not a fig tree. You don't produce any figs that we enjoy. You're a bramble. And, and, and yet he thought himself of greater importance than that. Um, brother and sister in Christ, our tendency to overestimate ourselves is being addressed in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, and it is something that is more subtle than, than just the, uh, you know, boasting about how handsome I am. And it shows up in worry. It shows up in anxiety about the future. So let me offer you, as I close, um, just a couple of things, a couple of words of advice that I hope will help us Heed this admonition, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So that we might not um, make that mistake, let me mention a couple of quick things. First of all, number one, know your sin. You are far more wicked than you ever dreamed. We are. Now, let me add that other half, which is we're far more loved than we ever dared hope. But given the right set of circumstances, we could all come tumbling down. Don't ever forget the ravages of the fall that, are, that have affected all of us. You must keep that in mind, and that's going to be next Saturday, not this one, the right view of man. You must have a right view of your sin or you'll never get a right view of yourself. Here's the second thing, and, and this, of course, is a, is a tad sectarian, but not for this group because this group is pretty, pretty much on the same page. But um, know the doctrines of sovereign grace. There is nothing more beautiful and more humbling than the doctrines of sovereign grace. 
Go talk to the Scanlons. They got a whole week of it, didn't you? <laughs> and isn't it, isn't it gloriously beautiful? If you've never taken my systematics class, then take it. Nothing, nothing tends to more humble the, the proud soul than the beauties of sovereign grace. Just, <clears throat> I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, Arminianism, because of its emphasis upon the will of man, swells the chest. And none of us need that. So, know your sin and then rehearse and enjoy the beauties and doctrines of sovereign grace. And here's the, my third piece of advice. Um, but I'm telling you, I, I, I bet you all are sick of hearing me say this. But I want you to know that I have come to believe that what I'm about to say is the most imperative ingredient to the life of sanctification in the process of growing to be like, more like Christ. I am suggesting to you that this is the key ingredient. You know what it is? The fear of God. People who fear God don't toy with sin. I didn't say we didn't sin. Oh, we sin. It just, it just mini- not minimizes, it, uh, it lessens our sin. Um, because we believe in a God who has this inflexible hatred of sin. And we're not going to mess with him. You know, guys, um, people uh, concerning the fear of God, they, they, they take the word fear and they, they want to turn it into a, the word respect. That's a good word. But ladies and gentlemen, fear means fear. That's what it means. The psalmist says, my soul trembles and my flesh trembles before you. David said that. Why why doesn't ours? Why can we toy with sin? How, How can we write the girlfriend from high school? How can we do that? How can, how can we cheat on the 1040? How? How? The only answer that I have is that we have no fear of God before us. So I, I'm saying that to heed uh, chapter 6, verse 3, you got to know that pride is far more subtle than we had perhaps thought, that preachers are particularly guilty. And one of the reasons that... There is so much burden that comes with and into my office. Is because God loves me. And he's not going to let me give full vent to my high-mindedness. And so, know your sin. Know the beauties of sovereign grace. And fear the Lord. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of wisdom. Let's quit. Our Father, I do pray that you will use this exhortation from your word and its explanation to, um, to remind your people that this is not a, a plaything that we're involved in. This is not, uh, this is not recess. 
that your word is true and its um, its demands are uh, to be taken seriously. Its warnings are not to be ignored, and um, that this admonition of saying, if you think you are something when you're nothing, you're deceived. Lord, if we are deceived tonight, would you open our eyes to see the truth of who we are and where we stand and use this, O oh God, to, um, to bring us to the place where instead of wasting our energies and our sleepless nights on, on worry, that somehow you will enable us to cast our care upon you, knowing that the God who set the foundations of the earth cares for us. We ask all of it, of course, in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen.